Good morning, and I just want to thank you all for um, inviting me to come and present um, at um, this um, seminar. Today, my presentation will um, try to um, provide you with the following things. The uh, current view of black and BMA students in UK higher education and why that's important. Um, I will be addressing my former PhD research, which was completed um, beginning of 2016, and giving you some of the questions and methodologies, um, the benefits of qualitative data, which can support quantitative data, and why that's useful in policy, and giving you some information on third objects and how they're beneficial in the collection of counter-narrative data on sensitive issues. And then I will go into black male accounts of UK on UK higher education campuses, which was the focus of my research. Okay. I'm going to move through this slide a little bit quickly, but basically I'm just talking about um, where black and BME students are in UK higher education. Essentially, it's not contested that they are underperforming within higher education. They have, um, they're less likely to be in elite universities, which is what my research primarily um, focused on. And then I focus on why is it important to um, to look at black students who attend Russell Group universities. And the reality is that that's where the majority of the funding is. Um, it's also that um, there are substantial salary advantages for Russell Group and other highly selective universities compared to post-1992. Now, if you look at the research across the field for um, blacks in higher education, they are doing substantially, there's a li larger percentage of that group in higher education than white students overall. But that if you look at the types of schools they're going to, they're not the selective institutions. Okay. In 2016, just 95 black 18-year-olds were offered a place at Oxbridge compared to um, order of 4,200 4, um, white 18-year-olds. And this number accounts for less than 1% of Oxbridge's intake. According to the 2011 census, black people represent 5.5% uh, or 3.1 million of to the total UK population. So my research isn't strictly about Oxbridge, but it looks at the Russell groups and Oxbridge. And these, these were students, and this came out encouraging more people to consider coming to Oxbridge. This came out earlier this year. Okay. Some of this is up here, but I'm getting used to this new um, PowerPoint. I don't have this one at my university, and I like it when I keep going back and forth. Okay. Um, UCAS facts on um, BME and blacks. So when I say black, I'm talking about British African Caribbean and British African, and I'm talking about UK domiciled students. I'm not talking about international students. I can explain why later on. I don't have the time right now. But um, if you look at this, you can see, again, that um, black students are least likely to study at Russell Group universities, um, only 7% compared to 11% of white students and 13% of students of Asian heritage. Okay. Also, black and Asian applicants are less likely to receive offers from UK um, universities, even when they have like-for-like -like grades. So um, this is still very problematic. And more importantly, black students, like for like, once they get into these institutions, 
um, their likelihood of attaining a good degree, meaning a first or a second, is much lower. As you can see, attending a university, they're 50% less likely to drop out in London, that's London specific, and the overall dro and the dropout rates are there. But access, I'd like to say, is only one huge hurdle for uh, black and Asian pupils in UK higher education. Retention and the likelihood of, of getting that good grade are the other challenges. Um, oops, go back. Um, research at Cardiff University indicates similar findings to these right now. The research has not been published, but we're doing, there's a, a five-year study going on that looks at um, black and African-Caribbean and um, Asian students in the social sciences, the physical sciences, the biological, the medical, etc. And these rates are almost identical. So it is very problematic. It's not just a London effect situation. So with so few black students attending elite universities and those who do attend, you know, in some cases being 50% less likely to um, get a good degree and much more likely to drop out, I believe understanding their experiences and getting uh, information about their transitions to and through higher education in these universities is important. And that's what my PhD is, is about. So, we know that it's a, um, a fact that quantitative data on access, grades, retention, et cetera, exists on BAME students. So how do we increase access? In-depth qualitative research exploring the counter-narratives of these students and their transitions. And why? Because qualitative data can pro provide in-depth layers enrichment to, and richness to help understand the why of the quantitative data. And also, in a lot of cases, if you use quantitative data to try to understand these things, you're not going to have enough of the numbers when you're talking about elite universities because they don't exist. In one of my schools, I got the first black student to be accepted in that college in nine years at an Oxbridge. So you can't do quantitative data on those types of scenarios. So this is just a quick one on my methodology. Um, and I suggest that this small research project that I did could be used to be expanded and enlarged um, for policy implications later on across Russell groups and other selective um, institutions. So I engaged with um, Bourdieu and critical race theory um, in this. I'm happy to talk about that further. And I'm happy to go into this further, but I wanted to get to you know, some of the stories um, based on my time. How am I doing time-wise? Okay, all right. Okay. Um, I wanted to show you some of the methods that I used in my research. I used third objects, and I also used visible, visual media. So um, I had a, um, I'll talk about this a little bit more, but I just want to point out to look at the red and white cufflink and the gold one, because they will come up again. And I will talk about this in a minute also. Okay, these were some of the, the findings that came up um, in the stories or accounts, I call them accounts, um, that they shared from, with me. Um, I believe in a co-construction of meaning in terms of what my participants shared. I interviewed them repeatedly. I went back to them. I had over 200 hours of 
information data that I had to transcribe for, but it was very, very interesting. So. Okay, trying to gain data about um, sensitive issues and discrimination, asking questions without third objects. In my master's, I, um, which was a prelude in a way, I, I, I was looking at secondary students, um, students' remembrances of their secondary um, education experiences. And I asked questions about discrimination and things like that. And they were completely shut down. People would say, you don't understand the, uh, the UK context. It's not like America here. We don't have, have the same issues. We don't have the same problems, etc." cetera. Um, so this is sort of like an example of um, asking the question without having an object or whatever. So tell me about your parents. I got their profession. And uh, when I asked about discrimination, no, never experienced it, never ever will. Next one. In this one, I gave them, uh, I, I used an icebreaker of the, the cufflinks. And I asked them, can you choose a cufflink out of the box that best represents your mom, your dad, or a significant other, and tell me about it? And I got stories. So, um, and this is an example. And that this is based on the red cufflink. So that's an example of one. So you can see that. I'll just leave it there for a second for you to look at it, because I'm not going to read all of them. So had I just asked questions, can you tell me about your your mom or your dad, and I did try to ask them other ways, it, it didn't generate this. I thought the whole idea of third objects was a bit um, kooky when I first um, heard of it, but because it's been used a lot with children in child psychology, and um, someone in the program told me about it, and I tried it, and it was fantastic. And the same goes with an experience of, of another participant talking about their mother. And in this case, faith came up, and faith was a central capital that a lot of my participants identified as being instrumental in their transitions from secondary into higher education and helping them get through that process. And I do have a, a journal article in Burge on that, but I'm not going to be talking about that capital today. Okay, this one, this is the um, social media um, excerpt that I used. I'm going to play this for you, hoping I have enough time. But when talking about discrimination and racism, I found it extremely challenging to get anything out of my participants during my master's. And um, I figured this was, would have been a good way to go. So let's do the play. It's not showing up on your screen. It's not showing up on your screen, but you can Why isn't it? there a white entertainment television? Can you show me how? Huh? You don't hear us complaining about the schedule. Sorry. It's, it's showing up earlier. Sorry, we got it up on there. Mm -hmm. And let's try that. OK. 
Okay. I'll okay. try playing that again. And if you're just able to tell me, okay, perfect. How will I get it back? After? Um, if you just escape, it'll come back. Yeah, yeah, Thank yeah, you very sure. much. Volumeka. Part of the male lack of technical skills. My grandma hates collards. Why isn't there a white entertainment television? She's just like you. You don't hear us complaining about it all the time. Is it like bad to do blackface? Is that still like a thing? You can see the N word, but I can't. How is that okay? My best friend was black. I mean, she's still black. Oh, we're not really friends anymore. Oh my god, I'm practically black. It's my face. I told you to stop borrowing my lotion. Why do I think you're acting so ghetto? This is so ghetto. Ghetto. I'm not really the black guy, so. So cute for a black guy, right? Not like I look like you. Tanisha, what did you do to my computer? Can you touch it? Okay, I'm like, I already touched it. Is this real? Is this all yours? Wait, it's not real? It is. It is. Okay. Sorry. So, kind of feels like a Gorilla pad. Oh, did that hurt? Oh, sorry. Sorry. Kind of feels like Cheetos. Hey, do you know a Tyrone Jenkins? He just requested me. I don't know. He's black. Girlfriend. Holler. Holler. Sorry, girlfriend. He could get it. Sorry, do we turn it down? I don't really like that. I think what I like the most about them is they're not like stereotypical like black people. You know what I mean? Almost like they're not black. Have you seen this shit black girls say? Kind of racist. Okay. Now, the reason I used that video was. Um, Okay, I'm get, try to get my PowerPoint back. There we go. Okay. The reason... Mm, we're in another place now. This is very different from the PowerPoint we have at Cardiff. Pardon me. Okay. Now it's showing everything. It is, and he said if I just hit escape, <laughs> it would come back, and it's not working. It's it's a newer version that I'm used to, that I'm used to. Oh, hold on. I saw it. Uh huh. Oh, I may have figured it out by then. Sorry for the technical. There we go. Got it. Okay. Now the reason I used that video is that one, it was American. Two, it was women, and all my participants were men. And when I tried to relate to them things about themselves in asking these questions, I got nothing. But when they could take it out of context with somebody else, and someone who was American, all of this came up. This is the same participant on the previous slide that said he'd never experienced racism. But after that, he gave me all of this. So that's how I, can, I argue that third objects can be useful in qualitative research. At the same time, even though he shared all this with me, he is also dismissing, confronting, or acknowledging it fully as racism, which was a continual thing that came up with a lot of my participants, which is very different from how uh, a lot of black Americans respond to issues of racism, but it is, it is a cultural difference. Okay. 
And after sharing that video, I was also able to ask questions like this. And these were the type of responses I got, instead of being shut down like I was initially. Okay. A recurrent theme of many of my participants was that of being the sole or only one of a handful of black students in their program of study, or in fact at their institution. And many participants discussed feeling isolated and excluded on campus. Okay. Another theme that came up was othering and being black on, on campus. And I'll let you read this for a second. Okay, I know they're long. Now, this was a case of basically misrecognition on the part of the white person who was saying offensive things um, to this individual. And it's also a situation where this individual later on shared uh, this is feeling as a, this was a microaggression, this is something that uh, hurt him, that people thought of him that way. And also, um, a lot of my participants thought that because they were in these um, hallowed temples of higher education, that people were much more knowledgeable like than that, and they wouldn't say or think these kinds of things about them. Um, another one here that came from the video is being black on campus, and you're being asked, um, this man's girlfriend asked him if um, he had ever killed anyone. And he was actually really shocked and amazed that that was the perception of what she thought. And again, he calls this a class issue. He, this is not racism. It's um, this goes to worldviews and denial of that because if it is class, it's something that you you can overcome. You can work through these things, etc. But if you acknowledge it as race and what have you, where do you go from there? That's something that has a different type of permanency. Okay. Another. Um, recurrent theme that a lot of my participants um, discussed was deploying class signifiers. A lot of them were very proud of their ability to speak English and speak it well. And um, that was used in a way, thank you, okay, used in a way um, that helped them um, to gain entry and acceptance in their predominantly middle class um, HEI. Okay, I'm going to move on. Another big issue was moderating one's blackness. Now, Jason finds um, his university environment to be a bit um, stereotypical compared to the city where he grew up and respect to how others um, view him as black and gangster and ghetto. And this is eye-opening to him and he's quite frustrated um, by it because he's trying to say, you can't put me in a generic box. Um, he chooses what his cultural tastes are going to be and they go from hip hop to playing golf, um, which are things that would not generally typify him as being gangster. Okay. Um, in this case, this is one of my participants who was an outlier. Most of my participants did discuss how they had to moderate or change their performativity in elite higher uh, education institutions. However, this individual uh, refused to do that. But, uh, you know, he... Um, acknowledges that as a result of it, he experienced a degree of isolation within um, his institution. And here, he talks about particip particular particip um, black friends of his who switched up, as he called it. They were changing their, um, it's Goffman and performativity, but moderating blackness is another term that's been used for it. And how he refused to accept others' culture and do these types of things. But, uh, he does acknowledge 
that had he switched, his situation um, at university might have been a lot easier. And it wasn't until after he finished university that he said he stopped wearing his big coat and performing the way he did. But he did graduate in the top five of his class. Um, I'm going to skip this one because of time and just um, go to um, conclusions, which are that racism, classism, and discrimination are prevalent and often institutionalized within the habituses of some of these universities. Now, people may challenge my use of, because um, we, we talk about, we were talk, you were mentioning theory earlier, and this was problematic for me because Bourdieu is usually perceived as just a class theorist. But if you look at his early works, he also did a lot on race, particularly um, in Northern Africa. And he was able, I was able to use him, but I use critical race theory as well in, as for my theoretical context. But uh, othering stereotypes, discrimination, and misrecognition um, were experienced by a lot of these men. And they're also often institutionalized in these universities. Many black middle class and some of my working class participants who were what I call black aspirant, also chose to adjust, adapt, perform, change their performativity in hopes of acquiring a white middle class habitus, which would minimize the likelihood of stereotyping and discrimination. So, um, I would also say um, that black male students' awareness of other may explain why some black students are disengaged or not interested in studying, or maybe performing more poorly in these um, institutions. But more research would be need to be done in that area, but it would be hopefully useful for affecting policy. And lastly, I put this up, post-racial education. We don't live in a post-racial world or university. This is a situation that happened um, at our institution. And um, actually, it was not 2017, it was um, 20. Yes, it was, it was this earlier this year. And I'm working with um, the BME plus staff group is working with the vice chancellor's office and the medical school to, to provide training and other things. But they, these are the types of things that are still happening with students who are BAME at these institutions. So that's it. Thank you.